Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soulmates Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Rachel. Today's podcast is brought to you by Zoom. Not sponsored, but we are recording via Zoom. Yes, you've probably been on Zoom in your classes, your work meetings, your social gatherings, whatever possible thing you could need for video conferencing, Zoom has been really popular. Yep. If you notice a difference in the audio quality, that is why we are working hard to make sure that the quality of the podcast does not decrease. Even though Rachel and I are both practicing social distancing, there are 24 cases right now in Alachua County, and I feel like that number is only going to grow. So we're doing our part and just staying home. Yeah. As everybody knows, testing in the United States is a lot less than it should be, so the cases are probably much more than just the 20-some cases we have here. So me and Emily are practicing social distancing, and you should too. Yeah, and wash your hands. Wash your goddamn hands. (laughs) Don't touch your face, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So today's Zoom podcast is all about a very interesting drama. It had a plot so ridiculous that I did a double take when I looked at it on Netflix. It is Crash Landing on You, also known as Emergency Love Landing, also known as Love's Crash Landing, also known as Crash Landing of Love. Which one of those do you like the best? I think that Love's Crash Landing is probably the most accurate. Yeah, probably. Um, But I, I like Crash Landing on You, too. I think that's... That's probably the most accurate description. It aired on TVN in South Korea and on Netflix worldwide from December 14th, 2019 to February 16th, 2020. It's actually the highest rated TVN drama and the second highest rated Korean drama in cable television history. So this is a very, very popular and critically acclaimed drama. Yeah, it's super great that it's on Netflix, too. I love that Netflix has been really increasing the offerings that it has for K-dramas. I just think they're so popular and usually pretty good, and I'm so glad that I don't have to watch ads anymore. Thank God. I mean, I love that Netflix doesn't have any ads. I like some of the stuff on Hulu, but if something is like a Hulu exclusive, I'm always like, "Ah, I wish it was on Netflix. That's so true, because who the fuck pays for Hulu with no ads? Not my poor ass. (laughs) (laughs) This drama was actually filmed on location, but not the location that you think. It was filmed in Switzerland, Mongolia, and South Korea, and it's 16 episodes long, and these episodes are movie length. They are more than 60 minutes. Sometimes they're an hour and a half. Yeah, K-dramas don't fuck around normally, but yeah, these are a solid hour, at least. Mm-hmm. Yet, I feel like they don't seem like they're that long, which is why we'll get into the plot of it. We're only going to be discussing the first four episodes because we don't want to get into too many spoilers about the story, but I feel like the way that the plot is weaved through different character perspectives is really well done, and it makes it seem like the episode really isn't, you know, an hour and a half. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the pacing is really good. I never really felt bored with what was going on, which is always a plus when you're watching something that's over an hour long. So yeah, it was, it's easy watching 
me and Emily have been watching these episodes on our lunch break. Yeah. And you get through about like half, <laughs> half of an episode. And it's just really good. Like, I don't want to stop watching when it's time to go back to work. So, Rachel, why don't you read the Wikipedia plot summary, which surprisingly is very all encompassing? Usually they only describe the first episode, but this one actually talks about the whole series. Yeah. So, Crash Landing on You tells the story of two star crossed lovers, Yoon Se Ri, a South Korean heiress, and Ri Jung Hyuk a member of the North Korean elite, who also happens to be an army officer, one day while Yoon Se-ri goes for a short paragliding ride in Seoul, South Korea, a sudden tornado knocks her out and blows her off course. She awakens to find herself up a tree in a forest in the DMZ in North Korea, which is a forbidden area for South Koreans. There she meets Ri Jung-hyuk, a North Korean army officer, literally falling into his arms from the tree. Ri Jung-hyuk eventually gives Yoon Se-ri shelter and develops plans to secretly help her to return to South Korea. Over time, they fall in love, despite the divide and dispute between their respective countries. I mean, the Netflix one is like a two-sentence, like, she ends up in North Korea, and I'm like, excuse me? I know, like... (laughs) I'm pretty sure, didn't you say, Emily, that you read that plot synopsis and you were like, uh, no. And then I read the plot synopsis and I was like, uh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was like, oh, how are they going to portray North Korea? This is going to be very interesting and possibly very inflammatory. Yeah. So I think we need to discuss this before we get into, like, the plot of the drama, which I really did truly enjoy. I think we need to, like, talk about the elephant in the room, which is that North Korea is a country with an oppressive dictatorship where people are routinely starved, tortured, killed. They don't have access. Yeah, they don't have access to the internet. They can't, most people cannot leave the country. You have to be in a wealthy or influential family to basically climb up the ranks in anything and it's also a country that doesn't have a lot of connections to other countries so the technology isn't the best and people have to rely on agricultural methods and medical practices that like are pretty much the 80s versions of what we have now right there's just not a lot of development and honestly it's a sad situation And there are lots of efforts to get people out of North Korea. So I don't think this drama necessarily downplays that. I do feel like it's a little bit of a romanticization, Mm -hmm. but it's not over the top. It's not like North Korea is an idyllic place to live. It's, I think it better portrays that the people living there may not necessarily have an awareness of how oppressive their life is because they don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. Some things that I noticed while watching it is that even though, like, people in this small village didn't seem to really have a lot of money, a lot of families had South Korean items that were kind of openly sold at a market. Like, hey, I got something under my table from South Korea. Are you interested in buying it? Like, a lot of people had South Korean items in their homes. And I'm pretty sure it is like that. but 
I don't think it's to the level where people are just like out in the open with them. I'm pretty sure you can get into a lot of trouble <laughs> by having contraband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Also, the way that this portrays the army, I thought at some point was very accurate and at some point wasn't very accurate. Mm-hmm. This takes place in a small town, so yeah, so the members of this army in the small town are all pretty tight-knit, and they do stuff around the community, which is great, but I'm pretty sure that those in the upper ranks of the military wouldn't be hanging out with people at the bottom. Yeah. And especially someone from an influential family, like the main lead, I don't think he would be buddy-buddy with all these people. Yeah, I mean, I think his situation in particular in this story is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but you're totally right. I don't think that someone of that high of a class would just be bumming it for no reason. Yeah. Also, it shows that some people in the military are, like, taking bribes, and at one point, the main character is interrogated, and he's told, like, we don't need a reason. We can make something up to arrest you. Like, too bad, bitch. And then he's only released when it's found out that he's part of an influential family, which is, in my eyes, totally what happens every day in North Korea mm-hmm. and pretty much anywhere else. Like, the police be out there for you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So let's talk a little bit about the plot of the first four episodes. Okay, so episode one, we see Sari's family. She is running her father's company. and Her father had spent a little time in jail and she took over the company and she's running it marvelously. She's even in an ad campaign because she's like an influencer and she's dating this actor and she decides she's gonna do paragliding for an ad for her company. And she does it. And then a tornado basically happens and it brings her into the DMZ, which is the demilitarized zone. So South Koreans can't go there. But if you're an American, you can go see this section of the DMZ. I don't recommend it. It's, it's a little gauche, in my opinion. Like, don't do it, <laughs> please. It's weird. Yeah, I feel like that's such a weird thing to do. Like, almost like, I'm such a thrill seeker. I'm in the demilitarized zone. And it's like, no, actually, North Korea is very sad. And you mm-hmm. making fun of it in the DMZ is not cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So, this tornado brings her there. And Seiri ends up meeting Captain Rhee. She literally falls into his arms. And then they kind of had this cat and mouse game because he's like, you can't be here. And she's like, where am I? And then he steps on a landmine and she just bolts. And it ends up with her running away the wrong direction. She runs farther north. She runs from the DMZ into legit North Korea. Yeah, and the whole time Captain Rhee's like underlings, I guess you could say, are like chasing her. They're like, don't! You're going the wrong way! And one of them, like, raises his gun and fires at her, which I don't know why he thought that would have made her not jump, but she was like, fuck that, and jumps the fence. But it's all because she didn't trust 
Captain Ree's directions the first time. Because mm-hmm. he told her the right way to get back to South Korea, but she was like, uh, fuck him, and went the other way, and ended up in North Korea. <laughs> Captain, okay, I just gotta say, like, Captain Ree is so distractingly handsome. Yes, he is. He's so tall and, like, built and fit and has the highest model cheekbones he and, does. like, the the sharpest eyes. I, every time he's on screen, I'm literally transfixed. It's like uh, eye candy. Just really easy on the eyes. Yeah. So that's the end of episode one. So episode one concludes with her coming to a small town, and she's like, oh, thank God I made it back. I can take a taxi home. And then she starts to notice there's no street lights or electricity and then they all get turned on and a song is played over the loudspeaker and everyone comes out of their houses and does stretches and like calisthenics and she's like holy fuck i'm in north korea yep <laughs> that's the end of episode one. Oh god group exercise <laughs> <laughs> communist exercise no uh yeah <laughs> so episode two Basically, I'm trying to remember. It's hard because, like, after episode one, they kind of blend together, but... Well, why don't you just talk about the rest, then? Okay. So, continuing on. Seiri, basically, is in Captain Ree's house, and he keeps her hidden. Only him and his, like, underlings know that she's there, and she's just trying to adjust to life in... North Korea and she keeps calling him at his office being like I need shampoo I need conditioner I need a scented candle because you have to remember that Seiri is like upper class in South Korea so she's used to a lot of comforts (laughs) that she has none of in North Korea. Not only is she from South Korea she's a total like picky princess. In fact in episode four she's like they call me the picky princess. Yep. <laughs> straight up, straight up. So they try to get her out one night and then that plan falls through. And then they basically do like a random inspection of the houses and they discover that she's there. So Captain Ree makes it back just in time to be like, she's my fiance. <laughs> and then and then all the women of the village who basically all love Captain Ree and like think he's really attractive yeah. or like who the fuck is this ugly ass bitch <laughs> like <laughs> why does she talk funny and all this stuff and captain Ree has to be like she's a part of like a secret north korean project of like infiltrating the south and like she was a spy basically to cover it up so she's like really rude to this like den of hens basically mm-hmm. In North Korea, uh, in this North Korean village, and they, like, hate her. But then she eventually comes around because she realizes <laughs> she needs to help Captain Ree get promoted so that she can have a way out of North Korea. Because, like, the two attempts she tried, one in a boat and one some other way, I can't remember, they both failed. So there's also another plot line of this corrupt officer in the army someone who's um, i think two two grades above captain ree who basically you find out that he killed captain ree's brother which is what made captain ree become a captain because originally he was a piano player Mm -hmm. in switzerland in switzerland imagine going from switzerland back to north korea after having that much cheese (laughs) Yeah. 
So, so we don't know why that superior officer killed Captain Ree's brother yet, but we do know it's him. And Captain Ree is trying to get to the bottom of who killed his brother. Like he's very suspicious because there's another murder that's very similar to his brother's. So he's also investigating that, which, as you can imagine, is very dangerous because the guy that killed his brother has a lot of dark, shady connections and even has someone recording audio at his house to try to catch him on Mm -hmm. something. So those are, I think, are the main plot lines. All throughout episodes one to four, there's also another plot line of Sandy's family. So she has two brothers who both want to take over the company because she's gone. They all kind of assume she's dead and are very quick to be like, I want to be the next heir. I want to be the next person who's running the company. And the mom and the dad are both very like standoffish and cold, but like the mom is struggling inside because she thinks that Sadie still might be alive while the wives of these two brothers are basically in their husband's ear like, this is your chance. You need to rise above and take this opportunity. Like, just the most callous bitch stuff. And there's this whole plot line of her family trying to deal with the fact that the person running their company is now gone. Yeah, or, well, the person who's going to inherit the company from their father. So, and there's also a smaller plot line that isn't well-developed by episode four of this guy who's basically escaping the law um, in South Korea, like he touched somebody incorrectly or something. Uh, That's Sandy's (laughs) ex-boyfriend. He's the one who ripped off her dad. Oh, okay, didn't make the connection. Okay, so Sandy's ex-boyfriend is also like a subplot of some sort where he is taking refuge in North Korea to escape the bad things that he's done. And he's a pompous prick basically, but the corrupt officer is the one who's kind of facilitating his stay in North Korea to run out a statute of limitations on whatever crime that he did. I thought that was really interesting because I've never heard of something like that, but it makes total sense. Like, wealthy criminals escaping the statute of limitations in an in a place like because if you're the south korean government you cannot go you know into north korea there's no extradition there's nothing there's no diplomatic immunity like so these wealthy criminals go there and pay like millions of dollars every year to live in like a mansion in the countryside of north korea with like a staff that's like cooking and cleaning and and maintaining the pool and the lawn it's crazy but totally made sense i was like of course of course like corrupt people in the north korean government would allow that oh my god that makes so much fucking sense yeah it totally does and uh, i hadn't even thought about that aspect either but then i was like yeah totally why why wouldn't that happen there <laughs> i'm sure not I'm sure it's not just South Korean criminals. I mean, any wealthy criminals try another country getting into North Korea. Good fucking luck. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people would do that. Yeah. Yeah, I I love the the interactions between Sari and Captain Ree's underlings because they're like a whole band of like goofy men, basically, (laughs) all in their Uh own way. One of them is, like, super sassy towards her and is like, I hope you die. <laughs> like, and, like, you're such a brat and all this stuff. And one of them is, like, secretly obsessed with this one South Korean drama, like, 
he would die for that drama. And I, I think they did a really good job giving well-rounded characters. I think some of the minor characters don't have as well of, don't have as much of a backstory, but at least they have a personality. That's true. I really love the drama guy. He's so. I I love the. It's the actress who is in the K drama with the makeup company. Yeah, it's my horrible boss. Yeah. Yeah, my horrible boss. There's an like a middle-aged actress who is in this K drama too, and she's kind of she's not the leader of the Den of Hens, but she's kind of like the officer, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. And I just love her character so much. I think she's a really good actress. She just plays that role so well of being like, you know, she cares about her friends and making sure that everything is going smoothly. But she's also really sassy and judgmental. So I like her character too. I want to take a moment to talk about the costuming for this drama. Mm -hmm. I'm not a North Korean expert, but... From the, like, video and pictures that I've seen of North Korea, they really got the costuming down pat. Like, everyone wears those gray Dr. Evil-like <laughs> suits, yeah. and the army looks very sharp. Like, everyone looks like they are actually in North Korea and not, like, on a set. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting how they dressed Sandy, because supposedly Captain Marie went out and bought her clothing. But you can tell she's, like, fashionable, but North Korean fashionable. Yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Definitely. It's, like, farm girl chic, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, kind of like prairie. Prairie is a country good, girl. Yeah kind of a thing. I love this whole bit where they're like her hair is so messy and ugly because she has it down. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like you need to tie it back because that's, you know, how everybody wears their hair here. I feel like the collectivistic culture that already exists in South Korea is like magnified a hundredfold in North Korea. Like if you're different, people can tell immediately. Yeah. Definitely. And because this is set in like a small village there's also scenes in Pyongyang which is the capital but most of this is in Captain Ri's small village Sari sticks out like a sore fucking thumb everyone is like who is this bitch (laughs) exactly where does she come from why is her hair messy like what the fuck what is her attitude why does she talk like that like me and Emily can't tell the accent difference between you know a South Korean and North Korean but they can and they're like why does she talk funny so is there anything else you wanted to touch about on this drama you know for all i know they didn't shoot in north korea but like the scenes that they picked like of the countryside and stuff it's so pretty yeah (laughs) it looked really nice in the drama so if you like landscapes the landscapes are nice Also, the tornado in the first episode looks absolutely hilarious and stupid, but just move past it, okay? (laughs) A couple of scenes are obviously shot on green screens, which kind of boggles my mind because obviously this drama had a pretty high budget because they were able to shoot in multiple countries and have, like, and also have a fairly large cast. That's a lot of paychecks. Mm -hmm. So... I was a little thrown off when you see the CGI tornado, and then when they're on a boat, it's so obviously a green screen, and I'm just like, oh god, they couldn't have just gotten on a boat. 
like i know <laughs> like <laughs> put the boat in a pool or so, like something yeah. please <laughs> to at least get like the movement of the water so it wasn't just like i'm in a boat that is on land <laughs> i know even in just the four episodes that we initially watched i had some oh my god moments like i literally gasped when they're getting on the ship and she's like passage for one and he goes no passage for two and he goes with her i'm like oh my god is he gonna go to south korea with her yeah straight up no i was like uh oh my god like him just like weighing back and forth like looking at this skeevy man and him being like passage for one and him being like if i put her on this boat she's gonna get raped and he was like but no passage for two like suddenly but he had the card plan too so i don't know if that was planned from the beginning or not but I'm just, like, really rooting for their romance, even though I feel weird on a base level about the happy good time portrayal of North Korea. Yeah. Like I said, I I feel like they idealize it a little bit. Yeah. I, I also feel like it's important to show that from a, you know, a rural North Korean village where they have maybe never had access to the internet, how are they supposed to know that things are so vastly different between countries? Like, every time Sari is like, you know, I have meat for every meal, they're like, what? She's joking, right? And all this other stuff, like, they, I just don't think they have a frame of reference. So that yeah. may be where the I- idealization comes in. But th- that may be why they appear to be so happy or have acted so happy. But yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a little too much at times. Like, I feel like you can be ignorant to an extent, but also, you know, I feel like there's probably a lot more violence than is portrayed in this show, so. Yeah, and I feel like it's doing this weird Michael Bay thing where individual people are good, but overall institutions are bad. So individual Korean soldiers are good. But the, Kore- but the North Korean army is bad. And it's doing, like, this weird dichotomy. And I totally get, like, yes, there are good people everywhere. Yeah. But I feel like it's giving a distorted perception. Of course, this is a romantic comedy K-drama. Like, I'm pretty sure it's not meant to be taken that seriously. It's yeah. not supposed to be that deep. I know we're, we're getting into, like, I know that's, like, not the intent of this show is to be, like, North Korea, they're just like us. But like, but I also thought as I was watching this, I'm like, people in North Korea aren't going to be able to watch this show. Yeah, no. And you have to think from like, is it my responsibility as a filmmaker, as a producer to truly highlight how horrific it can be? Or do I dial it back to make it more palatable for my audience? Like you also have to think about possibly like the morality of that too Mm -hmm. because honestly like my view of North Korea has changed from watching this drama like it is not I wouldn't say that it's more positive but it has been influenced by this drama you have to think about that as a filmmaker people because they can't see North Korea when you provide this example some people are going to take that to heart yeah and I'm just I'm going to conclude this discussion with something hopeful i guess in the drama constantly sandy is referencing 
the unification of North and South Korea. She's like, when unification happens, I'll get you a lunch with that actor you really like. When unification happens, I'll give you 100,000 won. Like, I think people in North and South Korea are hopeful that eventually they will become one country, or at least they won't be enemies anymore. Yeah. It's hopeful. And I think, like the production is coming from that perspective of wouldn't yeah. it be great if our two countries could reunite? Yeah. I, I like that view too. I, I didn't realize how many times she said it until you referenced it again. She does say it a lot. Yeah. So that's what I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that on that. <laughs> yeah. So with that stuff aside, I am fucking addicted to this drama. It is such a good premise like, even if you take out the locations, if you just say, girl from country A stranded in country B with hot man and their countries are fighting, yet love prevails, like, yeah. come on. Like, this could be set in space and it'd still be amazing. You know what I mean? Yes. It's such a good premise. It, it is really good. And I, I feel like people are attracted to this show just because the idea of this happening the idea of North Korea it's like taboo and a little exciting mm-hmm. so I feel like people are like I wonder how they're gonna portray this and what could what good could possibly come of a <laughs> romantic comedy in North Korea so so Rachel how would you rate this on a scale from one to five one being the worst five being the best for the acting specifically I would give it a four, a four out of five. I think that the main characters do a decent job, but I feel like all the minor characters also give it their all, which is why I rated it a four out of five. I think this is definitely a four out of five. There are some goofy moments, but nothing too over the top. Yeah. A lot of the performances are kind of understated, especially from like the quote, evil unquote characters you know like the shady military people Mm -hmm. i thought it was really really good and the guy who plays captain Ree is absolutely nailing the bewildered yet stoic love interest i love him so much i know (laughs) ah okay one to five for the plot five yeah I totally agree. This is a five. This is one of the most engaging dramas I've seen in the past year and a half. It's one of the most unique plots that I've seen maybe ever. Yeah. Okay. Last one. One to five for everything that's not the acting or the plot. So the cinematography, the sets, the costume design, the score. I would say a four. I think they did a really, really good job with the sets and the costuming. However, I don't really remember the score that much. So, hence the four. I'm going to give, like, 3.5. I would have given it a four because I did like the sets a lot. It looked really authentic, and I really did like the costuming. The score is a little forgettable, but... When I was watching it today, Kyle stopped what he was doing and he's like, that sounds like Banana Pancakes by Jack Johnson. And I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. It's just (laughs) a random like adult contemporary acoustic guitar song that they play in the background when falling in love. And I'm like, 
uh, that's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, any other songs I cannot remember. I don't remember what the opening theme is or the closing theme. It just blew over my head. Yeah. You know, I'm going to bump it down to 3.5 also because of the unforgivable green screen. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That, it, it is truly unforgivable. <laughs> it just, it pulls you out of the drama. Like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's finish out this episode with our weekly K-pop recommendations. My weekly K-pop recommendation is Magnetic Moon by Tiffany Young. My weekly K-pop recommendation is Bing Bing by Crayon Pop, a classic. Woo, throwing it back. We used to know the whole dance to that. Yes, indeed. Lots of arm circles. Back in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode brought to you by Zoom. You can find Soulmates Podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash soulmatespodcast. You can find us on Tumblr at soulmatespodcast.tumblr.com. Check us out on Instagram at Soulmates Podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Watch some of our videos at Soulmates Podcast. Send us an email at soulmatespodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to Soulmates Podcast anywhere that podcasts are normally found. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, please subscribe, download our episodes, watch on the go, distract yourself from the coronavirus for about half an hour. (laughs) And if you liked anything that we did today, please consider donating to us on coffee.com. The link is in our link tree on Instagram. It is the only link in the profile on our Instagram page. Mm -hmm. We have a very abundant archive of episodes. We've been doing this for close to three years. So if you want a distraction, we got you Go through our back catalog and you will be so entertained by our dumbassery. Yep. (laughs) It is truly something to behold. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Stay safe. Wash your hands.